With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly. And we have three games to discuss. We have a nice home blowout win against Missouri and two not-so-great trips to Georgia and to South Carolina. The end result gang is a team that's 5-5 five and five in SEC play with four weeks left to go. Let's roll. back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. Well, this week we had uh, three games to discuss, a home victory against Missouri, and then road losses against Georgia and South Carolina. Not the way that I think we wanted this week to go, David, but it's it's at least something, right? It's at least something, and I found myself kind of uh, struggling, I guess I would say, with the short-term results of the last three games and balancing that against the long-term, I guess we'll call it the larger view of the season and what we set out to accomplish. I think the main goal was to fully implement the Buzz Williams system. That was the main goal this season. And to that end, I say mission accomplished. I feel like the guys have completely bought in. We've already overachieved a great deal. But this game against South Carolina today kind of, I don't know, it has me a little worried about the notion that the way we play, how hard we play, uh, how hard we play on defense, our, I guess I'll call it our lack of depth. I'm wondering if we've kind of bumped up against the natural ceiling for this team. So it is truly, truly impressive to be 5-5 five and five in SEC play. When you consider that after the Orlando Invitational, there were some people calling us the worst P5 team in, in college basketball. That's awesome. But I'm starting to wonder, Blake, if we've hit our ceiling. Yeah, that, it's a great question. And we at this point, we've passed the halfway mark of SEC play. So we're kind of making the turn and heading for home. I, I do wonder the same thing. Are, are these guys just, just losing their steam in terms of stamina? Is this Is this an issue with conditioning? Just not having that full experience across the board. A lot, we're relying on a lot of young guys who haven't played this many games before at this high of a level. What kind of toll is that taking? So there's, I think there's a lot of things at play here. But you are seeing the shooting percentages drop, which is is something that you know we have to question from a perspective of is it is it related to regressing to the mean because that the, these are kind of the shooting percentages that we saw earlier in the season or is this is this tired legs and guys just not having that stamina built up to get them all the way through uh, a tough slate of games so I think it, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what these last eight games in conference play shape up to be simply because I think you're going to see where this team is actually at this is this is a good measuring stick tough as that sounds to say because this is a tough slate of games, there is there is a stretch here where we kind of hit a murderer's row in conference play, and, and it's going to be really tough. But I think if the guys respond and step up to the challenge, maybe, maybe you start to feel a little bit better about where things are if they can at least just keep those games close. So that being said, I think let's, let's go ahead and jump into to the three games that we've got to cover this week, and let's start with Georgia. 
So yeah, let's start there. Let's start with our road trip to Athens, Georgia. A quick tip of the cap to the Georgia crowd. They sold out six of their nine SEC home games this year. That's no small feat, particularly for a team that is now at two and seven in SEC play. So hats off to them to, for, for creating a good environment. And in terms of the game itself, you really didn't miss much uh, if you didn't tune into this game. I'll, I'll just say this, Blake. The first half, our shooting was bad, even by our first half standards. So uh, these, these shooting splits in the first half, 25% uh, from two, 15% from three, 50% from the line. I mean... That's atrocious. Again, if, 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 if I'm laying out shooting statistics and I'm telling you it's bad by AM standards, woof. Like, that is especially bad. It was a halftime score of Georgia 24, AM 21. Really nothing to write home about uh, with this passage of the game. But in the second half, you saw a show. And it wasn't a show that was particularly fun for AM fans. But what you saw was presumptive NBA lottery pick Anthony Edwards just grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and put together. I would say, Blake, the single best performance by an a and uh, by an A&M opponent this season. He had 20 points and seven boards after halftime. But more than that, he seemed to be involved in every single play on both ends of the floor. The offense was flowing through him. He was looking really, really, really good. Um, this kind of has that youthful exuberance of someone who you know, was in high school prom a few months ago, and he's just running a D1 game on both ends of the floor. That's really the story of this game was Anthony Edwards. So he finished with 29 and 16 on the back of his play. The Bulldogs pulled away in the second half and never really turned around. Uh, the game never really got close after that. Uh, final score of Georgia, 63, A&M, 48. And people were kind of looking for the reason that this may have happened. And I'll just say, Blake, sometimes in basketball, having the best guy on the floor, that's just enough. Yeah, and in this in this case, it certainly was enough. Who knew that Dr. Mark Green could dominate on both ends of the floor like that? Sorry, <laughs> ER reference, <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Yeah, sorry. Um, he was phenomenal. I let's just start there. Give give Edwards all the credit in the world. That guy was great, especially in the second half. He he put that team on his back and carried them to this victory. And and like you said, it was never really close. Once he asserted himself, this one was over. So for the Aggies, they gave a we'll call it a decent showing in the second half. The shooting kind of came around. They shot forty one percent from the floor in the second half, but finished the game shooting 32%. Going into halftime, the fact that they were only trailing by three, I actually felt kind of good about things considering how poorly they had shot the ball. I I felt like it was only a matter of time until Edwards asserted himself because he's done this all year and he took it to an entirely different level in, in the second half of this one. Yeah, he's a surefire SEC first teamer. A surefire NBA lottery pick. Um, when someone like that starts the game slow, you have to capitalize. And that's really where we lost this game, by our inability to capitalize in the first half. I mean, the defensive effort was there, holding Georgia to 24 points. That's impressive. And if you kind of look at the the play-by-play and, and Ken Palm, you'll see minutes at a time where Georgia didn't score and A&M also didn't score. So it just, you know, the timing was off. And uh, to your point, our offense did improve in the second half, but it was too little too late. You know what I mean? It just... It served to delay the inevitable is kind of the, the way I felt about our second half offensive effort. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it really was just kind of delaying the inevitable. I want to pose an interesting question to you. A&M sits 11 and 11 in overall, 5 and 5. Perfectly mediocre. As you alluded to earlier, Georgia now sits, you know, after the A&M uh, win, they were at 2 and 6. They've subsequently lost games to Florida and Alabama. So they're now at 2 and 8 in conference play. 12 and 11 overall. So I know that that there's there's kind of a year of lag here, but a lot of Aggies when go kind of reverting back to tw- the end of the 2017-2018 season, a lot of Aggies were sitting there looking at at that team saying, "Okay, 
there's an there's an opportunity for us to go get Tom Crean. Now Tom Crean has two years it, it, here at Georgia. His team sits overall basically one more win, but almost identical overall record, but actually several games behind the Aggies in, in conference record. All of the things considered, would you rather have Tom Crean or Buzz Williams? This is this is an interesting hypothetical that I just kind of want to dive into here on a whim uh, in, in, in a few minutes. So absolutely. It's certainly worthy of discussion. Um, I'm happy with the guy we've got. His Texas ties and the way he goes about his business makes him a better fit for our kind of rebuild. Uh, Crean obviously has an impressive credentials, but I mean, Georgia was two and 16 last year. They're two and eight this year. Uh, and that's two and eight with the services of an NBA lottery pick. So I kind of wonder what the, I mean, what's the Tom Crean side of that pitch? It feels like he's not a good fit for SEC basketball for whatever reason. Right. So um, what I would say, Blake, my, my version of that same question is, is is almost the Mike White dilemma at Florida. He's the guy that I really wanted uh, even a couple years before that. So I think the lesson, as always, is that we're dumb and we don't really know what we want and things will work out the way they will, right? That's Yeah, that's a really good perspective. I don't know. I always kind of had a hesitation about Crean. I don't know why, but there was just something kind of in the back of my mind saying, I don't I don't think he's a good fit. <clears throat> maybe Maybe it speaks to the type of talent that he has to recruit in order to, to have a successful program. You're not going to recruit that type of talent at A&M, right? So it, it's Buzz, I think you're right in the sense that Buzz Williams is the right guy for A&M because his, his strategy, his everything about the way he builds his program top to bottom fits the A&M culture. That's why he was successful at Virginia Tech, which is, to me, a very similar environment it's a very similar dynamic uh from a basketball perspective so i think that the success that buzz had at at virginia tech is certainly a a good sign and a good indicator of what we can expect at a&m all right blake that's that's a uh, honestly that's a really solid wrap to that piece of the conversation i don't know how else to to frame it any better than that only to say i agree and we've got our guy so to that end Let's talk about a home victory. What do you think about that? We played well at Reed Arena for the first time in what feels like a month. We had the Missouri Tigers come to town, and we put the clamps on them, and we completed the sweep. We did something. Uh, we did a few interesting things here. We decided to play well at home in general, but more specifically, we decided to play well in the first half. We played well defensively, uh, which we've tended to do we've, uh, even in the first half, but we did actually put together... I think it's called a run, Blake, where you, you score more points than the other team in quick succession in, uh, in the first half, which is something that we typically don't like to do. But it was, I guess I'll call it, uh, I guess a run is what the kids call it. So we went on a... You can actually <laughs> do that? Uh, it's uh, probably not. I feel like it's the scene in Semi-Pro where the guy just calls a foul on the alley-oop. It's like, I don't like that. That shouldn't be allowed. So that, that's kind of, that was kind of the notion <laughs> I felt like here. But yeah, it was a 10-2 run in the first half and we pushed things to a 25-18 advantage. And I've made this joke before, I'll make it again. It's more fun watching the opposition score less than 20 and a half. That's way more interesting to me, much more compelling story to tell. I will say this. We didn't exactly turn the screws coming out of the break. So it was a 25-18 uh, A&M advantage. Missouri, to their credit, they made a game of it. So we didn't kind of come out and put it away. The Tigers came out and played well. And I think they uh, they ground our lead down to two over the, over the opening six to eight minutes of the second half. But then we really kind of gave the home fans a solid passage of play. So we went on another one of those run, I think, is the, is the term in Espanol. We, uh, and we had a 15-4 to 4 run. We pushed our lead to 13. 
And what's fascinating about this run, Blake, is that it's not highlight worthy. So normally you cut of you cut the AM highlight video from Chiltman Productions and it's full of like cool plays and open threes and like all this stuff with the crowd getting really excited. The crowd was getting excited because we were pulling away, but you know, it was like we did it in our old, in our own like AM way, right? It was like we ground our way to a fifteen to four <laughs> run. It was defense, it was hustle, grit free throws, offensive rebounds. Like, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't pretty, but it was effective. And this time uh, Missouri didn't have an answer. So we used that 15 to four run to push things in the double digits and they never turned back. One of the cooler moments I thought to close the, to close the game was uh, Mitchell getting a steal and throwing it off, off the glass to Jackson to close the game. So that was kind of a fun moment. Uh, final scores, A&M 68, Missouri 51. And I don't know, man, this whole win well at home thing, we got to chase that feeling. Yeah, definitely. It was a great win at home. Pretty good atmosphere, I felt like. I was, you know, watching on TV, you felt like the crowd was into it. I, I do agree that Mizzou came out and took it to the Aggies at the start of the second half, and AM kind of battled their own way back. But as as much as AM battled their way to this win, Mizzou kind of gave it away as well through sheer ineptitude. I they just they started turning the ball over. They were real sloppy. I wasn't. I haven't been really impressed with with what I've seen from Mizzou this year. I feel like they're not a great team, not good at all, actually. Letting AM steal the one in Columbia and then kind of walking away with this one, I haven't been real impressed with what I've seen from the Tigers. They suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's a more elegant way to put that, but I've become somewhat of an expert in bad basketball over, over the last few years. <laughs> We we are quite good at that, yeah. And that's some bad basketball, man. That is some bad basketball. You're right. That's unfair of me to say to say me. You're one of one of the people I can confide with, perhaps more than anybody, in terms of the almost Stockholm syndrome we've come to appreciate from watching so much bad basketball. Um, they're bad, man. And I think what watching them is is especially interesting to me because they're bad without a whole lot of hope. At times we can look bad, which we'll discuss in more detail, uh, the road trip to South Carolina. But it's bad with a reason and bad with kind of some forward-looking momentum. I don't think the Tigers have really a good reason or forward-looking momentum, so I don't imagine we'll hear from them here in the next couple of years. I'm not too worried about <laughs> about the uh, the annual home-and-home home we get with Mizzou. Yeah, that's that's always a – it's one of those that starts to feel like a really good opportunity for A&M. You're you're kind of you're you're really happy to have that one on the schedule. So I know I know that Kwanzaa Martin is is highly regarded in some circles of of SEC basketball. My circle is not one of those, but <laughs> but uh, you know I just don't see this going in in any particularly positive direction. You know if if you don't have a, a Michael Porter Jr. out there for you, then then I don't really know that that he's got a whole lot to bring to the table on this front. The one thing, well, I, a couple things I do want to point out. Quentin Jackson had a great night. That dunk that that dunk that that you referred to earlier, where uh, Mitchell threw it off the backboard and and Jackson went and got it. When that thing first came off the backboard, I thought that was going to bounce all the way out to half court. It was so high and so hard off the backboard. I thought there's no way Jackson's going to get that. And then he goes go go gadget arms. And just catches that thing at, at a height I couldn't even fathom and throws that down. Just so impressive. that The athleticism that that guy shows is just astounding. It's, it's really incredible. And then the other, th- the other thing, uh, my, my love fest for Josh Nebo continues. 
Uh, it was nice to see him kind of right the ship offensively the last few games for him. Hadn't been great. He wasn't anything special in terms of you know these flashy plays, but he dominated the second half in terms of taking it to the Mizzou big men, creating fouls, and getting himself to the line, knocking down free throws. He was 8 of 11, eight of 11 for the line. It's it's incredible the the work that he's doing down low just to just to keep this thing moving forward. One of the things that I I didn't realize, he is actually number 2 in the country in free throw rate, meaning the free throws that he generates for his team. He's number mm-hmm. 2 in the country. That's astounding. It is and uh season high in field goal attempts for Nebo. Uh, in this game, so he was five for fourteen from the field. Uh, we fed him the rock, we, and, and we did we did it at a higher rate than we have all year. And I, I think it's perhaps overly reductive to say this, but I say it every time it happens. We're a better basketball team when the offense flows through Nebo. We're a better basketball team when he gets more touches. Perhaps that's why so often it is that it is so difficult to feed him the ball. I mean, teams, I think teams have recognized that fact, and they do what they can. They front him. They make it really difficult for him to get the ball in an advantageous situation. For whatever reason, Mizzou was completely unable to do that tonight. And we correctly identified that, and we fed him the ball every chance we got. So big game from Nebo, uh, 14 field goal attempts, 11, 11 free throws, exactly the sort of uh, effort I would expect in in this situation. But I want to bring things back to, to Quentin Jackson because I think it was his best game of the year, and I think that his recent surge brings up an interesting question because I feel like we now have Six guys making legitimate claims for crunch time minutes. Uh, Nebo, Flag, Mitchell, Gordon, Miller, and Jackson. I think, Blake, we might be approaching a situation where like the hot hands just carry the day, right? Of who's going to get the crunch time minutes for a specific game. Or perhaps more, the easier way to think about it would be which of the six of you don't have it today. You're the one who's not getting the crunch time minutes. I'm explaining all of this, though, to tee up a, a very specific question. Should the odd man out be saving on Flag? I knew this was going to be the question, and... The reason why I knew this was going to be the question was because I was thinking, Savion's got to be number six in this list, right? As you're talking through this, I'm thinking, Savion's number six. And what a bizarre thing. This guy was a second team all-conference player, and now he's not even cracking your your crunch time lineup. Kind of a Kind of a strange turn of events, but I think the emergence of, of Gordon and, and Jackson have have pushed him out of that rotation. The stats, I mean, the game log, Blake, it's bleak. He's, he has five or fewer points in five of his last six. He's 0 for his last 16 from three. The efficiency's not there. He did have 10 rebounds against Missouri, but that's more of an outlier than it is the norm. His assist-to-turnover ratio has improved some. He's getting less tentative than he was earlier in the year, but it it's a fair question, right? When Jackson's rolling, the argument can be made that he should get flag spot at the three down the stretch. It's it's uh, like you said, I, I can't believe I'm saying it out loud, but I'm almost forced to come to that conclusion, right? Yeah, it, you really are. And, and, and I don't like it. I, I know I sound, I may sound a little excited about this. I'm excited about Jackson and his emergence because we needed this. We needed somebody to step in and fill that role because Savion hasn't been stepping up in that regard in most games, there are some stretches of play where he steps up and he, you know, he he asserts himself. But it's it's been more that he hasn't than he has, right? And and in that regard, it's there. There's a definite void, and I, I hate to see Savion fall into that. But 
at this point, you're looking for guys who who can carry that momentum going forward, not just for the rest of this season, but into next year. Maybe this is where I land on this. I think if if you think about it in terms of an offense-defense substitution, our best five on defense, I would drop Mitchell from the six. But I think if I need a bucket, I think I'm dropping flag right now. I think if I if I need a bucket, I'm rolling Jackson, Miller, Gordon, Mitchell, Nebo, and I'm feeling I'm feeling best about that unit's that unit's opportunity to get a bucket. So something to monitor as we move forward in the last four weeks is that I think that spot could be up for grabs. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. Hopefully, there will be several of these games that are close coming down the stretch. I think that you have some opportunities here with this schedule coming up that that you should have some close games, and I'm I'm curious to see what Buzz is going to do in those situations. One other note I want to mention, we were killer on the offensive glass again for the second time in three games, so I know we raved about how well we did on the offensive glass against Tennessee a week prior. And for the second time in three games, Blake, another offensive rebounding rate over 50%. I mean, these are video game numbers, out-of-control numbers for us on the offensive glass. We missed 42 shots. 23 offensive rebounds so yet again flip a coin if it lands heads we're getting we're getting the ball back and we're resetting the offense so the the joke i made in my articles i said that's the sort of stuff you see when varsity scrimmages jv for fun it's not the sort of thing you see in a power five conference game so once again kudos to us for absolutely crushing it on the offensive glass yeah and these are these are the the details that that buzz wants his teams to pay attention to it's it's crashing the boards and and this isn't a large team outside of Nebo, this is actually a pretty undersized group of guys, but they put in the effort. Credit to Emmanuel Miller. That guy is, he is dominating on the boards and I'm loving watching him do it. It's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned him. He was going to be my my parting shot as we navigated away from this game. Uh, I'm glad you brought him up. I think suffice it to say for me, he's a, he's a P5 starting forward, right? He's there. He's, like, I'm not going to say he's a plus power forward. I don't think he's you know, significantly better or even marginally better than your average SEC power forward. But I, I don't think we're losing anything rolling him out of the four. You know what I mean? I think he is an average. At, he, he has developed rapidly into at least an average SEC starter at the four. And I'm really excited about the sort of things he's going to bring to this program, both in the remainder of this year and throughout his career. Yeah, and you're starting to see his offensive game catch up. Here was another double-digit night for him. He had 10 points. I think that you could. this guy could be a real hidden gem down low. I think he could be a really solid player in the SEC for the next several years, be a real flashy guy, but he's he's going to do the little things, and he's going he's gonna to work hard. He's going to give you solid minutes, and you're going to be able to rely on him. And at this point, that's that's what you need for for this program. You need steady hands that that are gonna that you can rely on to be there, game in and game out. Well, Blake, I I dearly wish we could wrap the pod and leave on an optimistic note, a home blowout, happy things for the fans, a good you know good effort in the first half, and just kind of cue that uh, end of podcast music and ride off into the sunset. But we can't because we <laughs> we took a trip to South Carolina today, and I would say, Blake, for for the first time in months, we got really beat badly without any, even in the games that we lose by double digits. Not that there have been a ton, but for the most part, we've put together 30 plus minutes of competitive basketball. 
that didn't happen today. It flat out stunk. Um, I will note, so the game started with a 9-0 run by us. <laughs> and uh, South Carolina didn't score for the first 355 of the game. Uh, we kind of held on for a while at 12. It was a 12-5, I think, a couple minutes later. So really cool, fun start. I thought, hey, this is great. Like, we're going to win on the road, go to 6-4 and four in the SEC. Uh, the game clocks didn't close the half on a 36-11 <laughs> spurt. I mean, they just beat the pants off of us. And it wasn't anything in particular. I, I know in the in the original game at Reed Arena, it was a almost school record outside shooting performance by the Gamecocks. But I wish I could point to one thing. Like it was all of the things. They beat us in every phase of the game. Uh, the halftime score was 41 to 23. And then in my recap, I noted in a game like that, the team that's getting the pants beat off of them will sometimes at least push the team, right? They'll they'll put together a run to, to maybe drop that lead to single digits and, and at least make the team that's blowing you out kind of think twice that it's not going to be terribly easy down the stretch. Um, and that didn't happen in this one. So the Gamecocks came out of, came out of halftime. They pushed the lead even further. They, they went on a 15-3 run uh, immediately coming out of the break. They pushed the lead to 30 in, you know, early in the second half. It was a, a, an evening or an afternoon where we failed to compete for the first time in a long time. Um, the final score, Blake, 74-54. to 54. I don't really want to get too lost in the sauce here. Um, we, we did some cool things down the stretch. You know, we brought the deficit down from 30 to 20, but you know, you're playing against South Carolina twos at that point. So how much can you really gain from that? Um, this is where we kind of tie back to the original discussion of what do we expect over the last four weeks? And I say that because these guys look tired and the way we play the roster construction, the fact that the SEC is a twice a week grind these guys look tired, and, and it makes me wonder what, what the next few weeks are going to hold for us. Well, I think the positive coming out of this, if there is one to be had, look at the minutes for for the box scores here, right? Nebo, 13 minutes. Gordon, 13 minutes. Flag, 20 minutes. Quentin Jackson, 27 minutes. J.J. Chandler, 27 minutes. Gultekin, 21. Aku, 21. When was the last time we saw Jonathan Aku get 21 minutes? i venture to say it was probably the first or second game of the season when Nebo was still coming back from injury. So I, I think the one good thing that comes out of this is you were able to get those guys, those those main contributors, some minutes on the bench. It's not great that you're getting blown out by 30, but at the same time, the fact that it happened so quickly and so convincingly and Buzz was able to recognize this isn't going to happen. Let's 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 live to fight another day. Sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And you just, <laughs> you just, you just take the L and, and get your guys some rest in, in this situation. I think, I think that's the benefit, but you're exactly right. What is, what is the indication for the next eight games that we take away from, from this result? It is worrying uh, it goes back to the questions that that I asked earlier. Is this because you have a a roster that that does rely on a lot of young guys who probably haven't played this much basketball before, and the demands that are placed on you within a college level program elevates exponentially over what you see in a high school program, especially in in a Buzz Williams run program, right? These there there are not days off. In, in a buzz program. So in that situation, you start to wonder how much do these guys have left in the tank? And and the shooting numbers, it, it, it's hard to tell, right? It's hard to tell 
is the poor shooting because they because they don't have it in their legs or are the poor shooting numbers poor shooting numbers just because we can't shoot the ball which we've seen all year I, I, it's really hard to tell at this point what where all of this is, is coming from and it, it's it this team is going to be unpredictable i think is what we're going to what we're going to take away from this so i'm i'm a little concerned about the future on on both fronts so you, you laid out well what we might be looking at from a physical deterioration standpoint that's a too strong a word but just from the fact that we might be fading also looking at the sec standings blake we have eight games remaining six of those eight are against teams at or above 500 in sec play including the top five teams in the conference it's going to get tough for us down the stretch we have including we have a stretch here near the end where we play literally the top three teams in the conference back to back to back in kentucky auburn and lsu we only play Mississippi State and Florida once, but those games are coming as well. Our game against Alabama is still coming. The only other team in the SEC that's above 500, South Carolina, who just polished off a sweep of us, you know, six hours ago. So it's a it's trouble on both fronts. It's trouble in the sense that we might be fading, and it's trouble in the sense that we might be fading as we're approaching the most difficult part of the schedule. So I will say that I'm still going into this with eyes wide open. Uh, I'm not exaggerating here, Blake. If we lose the next eight games and finish the SEC slate at 5-13 and 13, and then lose in the first round of the SEC tournament, the season is still a wild success. So in that, t- in, in that sense, I still think that we're dealing with found money, but there is cause for concern moving forward. If you go back to our preseason predictions, and I'd have to go back and actually listen to those episodes, I think we had it right about there, right? I think we had a good season, looks like five to six conference wins, a okay showing was three to four and a poor showing was two or less right so uh, we're, we're already there we've hit we've hit the high water mark anything else on top of that is is really just icing on the cake i do think the 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 fact that the AM has four of their next five at home so florida georgia at home on the road to alabama and then mississippi state and kentucky at home I think there's a good opportunity in those five games to to show a little resiliency. Neither of us likes moral victories, but this is a season where you have to take the moral victories as they come, right? And you have to appreciate the moral victories. If you have a good showing against Florida and lose by a couple of possessions, if you have a good showing against Kentucky or LSU or Auburn and keep those games close, keep those games under an eight point deficit. To me, those are moral victories. Those are signs that this team has, hasn't given up, hasn't decided to rest and say, okay, we've accomplished enough this year. We're good. I don't, and I don't think buzz is going to let them, you know, coast the rest of the way, but I, I, I want to see, I want to see what this team has left in the tank. And I think if you can get some moral victories out of those tougher games, I, I think that, that that's that's as good of a sign of progress as a squeak out win against a poor team like Missouri or Georgia, right? So, it, you know, a win against Georgia is to me is worth just as much as a close loss against Kentucky or LSU. And in terms of actual results, I'm still focused on the goal I set out at the beginning of the year, 
avoiding the 11 through 14 clown show on Tuesday night of the SEC tournament. That's something that I would very much not like to do. I feel like uh, obviously the SEC tournament they have to play the they have to play the field down to 12, and there's no getting around that. But it always feels kind of like you're getting trotted out there, you know, before the real tournament starts, right? I've never uh, really kind of disliked being in that 11 through 14 game, even though I think we're I think three, you know, like we never lose when we're in it, but I still don't like it. Looking at the SEC standings, I think if we can win one or two of these last eight, that's going to be enough to get us clear of that bottom four, which, to be candid, Blake, we have no business not being in in those, in those that bottom four, right? Like, if you just look at the roster, we should be in that opening night of the SEC tournament. I think we can still avoid it. And that's, like, in terms of the actual real results I'm looking for, I think that is still an accomplishment. So I would like to win enough to do that because to clear the bottom four would be an accomplishment this season. But in terms of... Coming down the stretch, I do agree that it would be nice to, as you know, as I laid out earlier, we're, we're we're playing the top half of the SEC coming down the stretch. It would be nice to for there not to be a gulf, right? Um, I don't like to mention last year too often, but that was my biggest problem with last year's team is that we were 0 and 10 against the top half of the SEC, oftentimes losing by double digits, and it was just exceedingly clear that even though we held our own against the bottom half, that we just weren't anywhere close to the top. I would like to see a ceiling capable of pushing those top teams some of the time, right? I'm, you know, spoiler alert, we're probably going to get run off the floor at least once more before the end of the season. There's just too much talent on our, uh, and, and on the other side of the floor in our remaining eight games. But if we can show well against some good teams and win enough to stay out of the bottom four of the 14 team conference, sign me up for that. That's really what I'm looking for down the stretch. Yeah. And I, I think that that's entirely plausible in this situation, right? You've already got five wins in conference play. There are four four teams solidly beneath you, uh, with with Arkansas sitting right there uh, at four and six. So, from that perspective, I think I think that it it is plausible that this that this group of guys may. Uh, not have to play in that opening night of the tournament. And that would be, in my mind, a great success. I, I do question how much of a chasm there is between that upper tier and, and the next group. I, I don't feel like top to bottom, the conference is as strong this year as it has been in the past couple of years, uh, even going back probably the past three or four years. I, I think that, I think this group, the, the, I think the group of teams this year, at the top of the conference is still down uh, quite a ways below the upper echelon of teams across the country. I, I do feel like overall it's, it's kind of a down year for the sec, mm-hmm. but, and, and, and the standings reflect that out because you see kind of this log jam of teams right here in the middle. And even the guys at the top of the conference, Auburn, LSU, Kentucky, are all sitting at eight and two. There's nobody nine and one or 10 and oh, so, you know, it's it's kind of this it's kind of this cluster of teams all right there together that are kind of vying for uh for the top spot. And there's I mean, there's even a way that a team like Mississippi State could could find their way back into the conference race if 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 things broke their way. So, I I say that to say I think that there are some good opportunities for the Aggies to to make some runs at, at these upper tier teams and and get these games close and maybe step in there and shock somebody, right? And that would be a lot of fun. That's that's what I'm hoping for down the stretch 
is let's go ruin somebody's night. Let's go put a little pressure on somebody who's looking to make the the big dance and and make their life a little more stressful. So if we can do that, that feels like a success to me. Well, that sounds good to me. Let's see if we can get some momentum going with these four of our next five at home. And hopefully I'll talk to you soon with some good news to report. All right.